0: Hello everybody and welcome to the T2 Hubcast with me, Tracy Roberts. And today I am joined by a special guest um, by the name of Rob Allen. And he's going to tell you a little bit more about where he comes from and what he does. Rob, over to you.
1: Hi Tracy. Hi everyone. Um, so I'm I'm Rob. I am um you probably shouldn't start with your job, but I'm gonna start my job. Um so yeah. I'm uh assistant chief fire officer for Warwickshire Fire and Rescue Service. Um I look about 12. I tell everybody that all the time. Like, I might have to add a couple of years on in the future. Um, and the reason I say that is because it's hard to believe I've been in the fire service tw- nearly 25 years. So um, I've that moved has. around a little bit. I was in West then Hereford and Worcester and now Warwickshire. That's my background.
0: That's a long time to be any job. But um, So what, how old were you when you started in the fire service then, Rob, if it's been that long?
1: So I was eighteen when I when I joined. Um, my dad had been in the fire service since the sixties, and all I ever wanted to do was to be a firefighter. So uh, yeah, I joined a different fire rescue to him, but yeah, joined when I was eighteen. So I had no experience, no life experience, and it probably told.
0: Amazing, that's amazing, and I think a lot of people when they have got their purpose mapped out, it's. And then quite important that they, um, yeah, they fulfill those dreams very early on. And usually people will see that career through so obviously for yourself, that's a hell of a career. So I'm sure you see a plethora of changes in your time, uh, from probably some good stories to tell and probably some stories you can't tell as well, I'm guessing. But as a fellow kind of forces press, I think I can really kind of connect with, like the job really is a purpose based role, isn't it? It's something that you don't just come into it for the glamour or you think that anyway. So, what was it about the fire service other than obviously watching people that were of big influence to you do that? What was it about the fire service just made you think, yeah, that's my calling?
1: Yeah, so I, and I think most people that go through the print profile that have been in the fire rescue service or a big chunk have a two in there and that's that's absolutely yeah. about helping other people um I probably didn't realize that when I wanted to join I just wanted to be my dad if I'm honest but he didn't know that you know he he really didn't um mm-hmm. but I, it was what was it about my dad that um made me want to do it and I think that was he was always available for, for everybody he was um he was a manager on the fire station and People would just come to him with everything. They'd always seek his advice. They would ask him for support when they were in in, in difficulty. And, you know, obviously the, the cool stuff, he would race off and, and go and help people at their moment of great need. And it was it was that that probably drove me and is the biggest influence in my life um, from, from how my personality is developed.
0: That's, it's been good that you can recognise that, that early, I think, what I definitely recognize as generations have shifted is that there's not always that direct connection with the practice very early on in life. It's a little bit more trial and error and, and kind of trying a few things, seeing what sticks and what feels good. Although we're more aware of, obviously, practice in our lives, I think a lot of people there's a lot longer to find their, their why, so to speak. So it's so refreshing to hear someone who found their why so early through the influences they did. Um, but also how you've managed to flourish in your career as well so um, and do you still love it is it something that still you know gets you out of bed um, excited on a Monday morning
1: there are it's different I would say so I I have an absolute passion for fire rescue so um, so helping I just help in a different way now um, so before I was helping you know small teams individuals or you know Actually, people at operational incidents, so fires and car crashes and those kind of things. Now I'm helping, you know, bigger groups of people, or I'm collaborating with colleagues in the police or wider council. Which is, which is the same. It's the same. It gives me the same feeling. It's still touching the same sense of purpose, but in a different way. Um, I would say that in a in a diff, again in a in a slightly different way. It could be more um it's more emotionally challenging probably now because you don't get the you don't get the adrenaline release of of helping um you know an operational instance. So certainly not on a frequent um on a frequent basis. So you don't get that adrenaline rush, so you're really it's um it's kind of an endless churn of, of helping um in a more in a more bureaucratic way or wider teams. Um, so you don't instantly get the hit, which I suppose is the same for all um strategic leaders. You're 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 looking for the future, you're you're planning and you're looking for that that future thing, which means you don't you're not getting the dopamine hit every uh, every day yeah. from from work in the same way as I was when I was on I was going out more operationally.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting way to look at it really, because I guess you're right, as you kinda of come up that leadership ladder, sometimes it isn't that instant gratification, is it? It's not you know, go in and fix the thing very quickly. We've got to be a little bit more patient and let things kind of, you know, run their course, so to speak. Um, and that kind of leads into roughly what we were going to talk about today, where we're going to talk about leadership and, and all things leadership, but mainly just the difference in, in you know, uh, maybe some of the observations you've made over the years of the shifts in leadership. Um, there was one thing that I was going to kind of lean into there based on what you were saying there is about, you know, that leader who's on the front line and, um, you know, leading a... a a very, very high profile team in a, I don't know, a, a very, very stressful situation and having to really step up quickly and everyone looking at you for all the answers. And of course, traditionally, we look at leadership styles as a, a moving part, don't we? we say, you know, people need to be conscious of their natural self and then be able to adapt to, we refer to six leadership styles, although I know there are different models out there and say, you know, what is required in this time? And what we find when we're talking to both public and private sector is there's a definite distinction between some of these leadership starts showing up more um, in certain environments. And sometimes it's down to the way it's communicated. So I'll give you a great example. Directive leadership normally gets a bad press. (laughs) But why it gets a bad press is because people assume that that's still in a very... I don't know threat state maybe that's probably the best way to explain it Um, so people barking orders but in the environment you're in directive leadership is required to get the job done so I guess one of my observations before we kind of dip into the other bits is you know from a directive perspective thinking of all, all those kind of frontline situations you've been in what do you observe in people that deliver directive leadership in the right way what is it that that they encompass that that really brings it into fruition without people's getting people's backs up i guess
1: yeah i it's a, it's a really good question and, and there is definitely there's two sides to our role there is that there is almost the business-like side which is probably 99 percent of, of our job but then there is the one percent where you are in those you know extremely challenging dynamic situations um and i would say the thing that enables direct Leaders and and we have to be direct in those spaces. You know, you have to be, and when I want to say direct, you have to be really clear with your purpose. You know, where in the past you would have, in, a, in, the, in the other setting, you would have worked through it and helped and tried to coach the person to achieve their own, uh, you know, their own outcome. Yeah. In that direct setting, it is, I want this, I want it at this time uh, to this standard, you know, done. I don't want you to come back and tell me when it's done. Um, I think the the difference of what makes it work is calmness first those those direct leaders that do that in a in a a calm and considered way that their voice is controlled that their body language is calm naturally it brings that peace in the environment that you're working in when there's probably chaos all around you and therefore even if the language is more directive than normal the calmness means that the, the right message comes across you know i have seen people that do that take a different approach there and feel they need to shout and bark in you know a really traditional, direct sort of style. and that although that might get results, people are really just thinking about um, their you know the, the tasks that they've been given. and you know we talk a lot about decision traps in the fire and rescue service, you know where people are blind and tunnel vision. people are blind to all the things around them, and I think leaders that take a direct and uh, assertive approach without being calm considered and looking at the body language of those around them um, they're much more likely to cause a decision trap because people just they're just literally following blind rather than um, because probably they're scared of what the outcome is rather than right actually this person knows what they're talking about um but but maybe they, maybe they don't know that bit and I'm and I'm comfortable to then step up because, You know, maybe there's that little bit of humility that comes at the beginning of it and that's why they're calm, you know, that there's that human interaction and and therefore the message, which is direct, which is very clear, which is concise, is done in such a way that brings other people in and they feel ready to change.
0: I think that's such a good way to look at it. and I can think of leaders that I've worked with over a long period of time as well that I can definitely, now you've said that, relate back to their calmness, their composure, their ability to read the root. And... but also, I think it comes from trust, doesn't it? It comes from that that, that foundation of trust that, you know, if someone asks you to do something, uh, even when it is a high-stress situation, that you trust that that person is able to make a decision. And equally, as you said, if there's something that we've maybe misunderstood that people can step up and say, hey, but <laughs> could we consider or have we thought of this? And, and I guess the language we use, and, and you know this from, from the retreat, is dynamic subordination. people understanding yeah. it regardless of your goal you still got something to bring to the team and if there's a particular set of attributes or you have skills or information that's relevant to that situation to be able to to bring that forward I think that's so important and it must take a very specific type of person to stay calm and composed and communicative in some of the situations you've been in Um, and I I guess it's good for you to be able to reflect on the people who've done it really well and the people who have not done it so well uh, and do you think that that kind of allows you some space to think about the way you present yourself as well? So as you've came up the ranks and you've been put into more, you know, senior leadership positions, you've had to make tougher decisions. Do you always have that at the back of your mind as well?
1: Yeah, I think absolutely central to um to trust, and it probably is the same in every sector. But it is credibility, uh, you know, and in in the fire service where we. Are making decisions that um, are going to put people in, in places of harm. So, you know, fires or uh, flood water, etc. Um, credibility is, is king and queen, really. You, you, you've got to have that. And I think the only way that you can do that is by, you've got to be visible, you know, visible leadership, you've got to be seen to be doing it. And one of the challenges that um, you face, the, the further you go through the organization is the harder that becomes. Because, People can't people can't see and feel and interact with you. So whenever you are then having those uh, those interactions, it's really important that you've got to be on your A game. Um, and that's you know that's really hard work to be on your A game all of the time. Um, and there's a, it's kind of there's an old adage isn't it that you cast a um, cast a huge shadow as a strategic leader. Um, the, the 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 problem that you have or the problem as I see it, is um, not only do you cast a huge shadow but you also have to think about that shadow all of the time, every single minute, because the moment you switch off, um, you know, particularly if it's in a high stress environment, if you're dealing with a, a you know, a complex operation, instant, the minute that you switch off is the minute that you either put somebody at risk and therefore, you know, obviously the, the, the negative impacts that would have, but also the impact on credibility and the spiral that that can bring um, from the impact of the service and to, to you as an individual. So, um, it comes there's some serious intensity which i suppose we we'll go back to a question you said earlier about you know do you still enjoy it it's it's that pressure that makes this something that's still that's the that's the that's the hit of adrenaline is, is being on yeah being on the edge being on the being on the eight gamers as, as much as you can see so, so you do have to be mindful all of the time about how you're how you're delivering a message you know what you know what you're saying. Why you're saying it, and and how it's going to be received, which is which is a challenge, isn't
0: it? Particularly when you're working with diverse workforce that you know all have different communication styles. I guess the big thing that you've got there is that most people are there for the right reasons. They're there for a purpose um, perspective. You you'd like to think at least, um, but I don't really consider it that way. So I think it's great that you framed about that. That you know, it's when you're very visible. You know, in a emergency situation and you have the opportunity to step up and get your hands dirty people will you know immediately respond to your you know credibility your reliability uh, and obviously you create that rapport in there as well with people but when you are a more strategically you, dirty you are right you do have to kind of in some way get yourself to be a little bit more visible so people can build that from the back of the house so to speak so maybe um there is a little bit of food for thought there for some people as they're kind of coming up the ranks in their organizations and feeling that shift like you did where it's like very obvious i'm here i'm doing the thing and now you're kind of making the decisions behind the scenes sometimes and maybe not being as visible so i think that's really a really good kind of perspective for people to to consider um so directive i guess for me is is the one that kind of jumps out because when we talk about directive leadership in a private sector the scenario straight away there's there's the negativity they don't make the connection between uh it necessarily being a means to an end you know a set of rules we have to follow a procedure we have to go through so it's actually a good thing if it's delivered in the right way which is in our challenge state threat state and we mentioned coaching there because also coaching's got to be a big part of the kind of leadership elements that you know you'd like to think that you're into to in the fire service because if we don't give people that opportunity to grow and think for themselves from time to time in a shall we say um a sort of reduced risk situation you wouldn't do it in a high risk situation i'm assuming in a reduced risk situation then obviously that you know that becomes a real part of their own their own self-awareness their own development but that can be a challenge as well right because one of the things that we spoke about previous to this was around key role leadership, around you as that key lead or that person who, I guess some notes I wrote was, uh, you know, the confidence that you have because of the tenure you have as an example, the experience you've got, the the confidence in your own decision making, if that makes sense, and courage that you must have to just forge forward and people are all looking to you for the answers. Um, And you become a victim of your own success a little bit, don't you, because you've had that journey. So sometimes that can actually reduce the opportunity for you to plug in that coaching. Um, and is that something that you've definitely sort of seen over your time in the service?
1: Yeah, 100%. So self-awareness is is something as a sector has been talked about for a long time. And, you know, obviously we've been working with you since uh, 2019. And I've been fortunate yeah. to do that, um, you know, that... Uh, Leadership Retreat and um, some other personal development um, things with Warwick Business School, we run an executive leadership program which um, all helps with 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 analysing yourself and understanding your personality and and that that core purpose of helping people Um, and then the shadow of being a strategic leader, those two things just collide in in really challenging ways, you know individually but also for the organisation you know, we 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 joke sometimes. I'm terrible for it because I really really like to help people. Um, you know, it is the thing that gets me up in the morning. Yeah. Um, you know that, that you, we uh, we we laugh about. You know, I, I put my cloak on and I'm and I'm and I'm super Superman trying to trying to help everybody. But the the real risk with that is that you constrain and it's knowing when when is enough. I think is is the is the, the the lesson that I've learned over the last few years. When have when have we when have we tested? When have we when have we worked through some questions? You know, me to another individual that helped them answer their own question rather than me providing. And or when have I just stepped right straight through and go and gone back to? You know, stepped over the chasm and gone straight into the uh, almost the the very soft smiling face of directive leadership. With that, no, it's this. Here you go. There you go. Why don't you go and do that? That will solve it for you. Here you go. Go and do it. I, I would say. That is probably the challenge because it links to my core purpose, because it links to my, uh, you know, my print profile, my, I'm a, 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 an eccentric 2-4. Um, that's the one that every single interaction is a challenge internally, every single interaction where somebody says, Bob, can I just, can I just pick your brain on this? What do you, I've had one this afternoon, Somebody's, said, oh, can I, can I reach out you? I'm involved in a disciplinary case. Would you mind if I pick your brain? yeah no yeah not not a problem and inside i'm already thinking how do i how yeah how do i keep it in and ask them some questions and see where they're going um without answering it for them which is it is again i think it goes back to that short term long term there is a massive dopamine hit by going yeah brilliant excellent thank you very much um i've answered your question
2: the next T2 Leadership Retreat will take place on the 7th to the 9th of May, 2024. To book your place on the ultimate leadership development experience from the People Performance People, or for more information, please visit www.trans2performance.com. Okay, it's a common thing in, in, in any
0: kind of organization, well, subject matter experts. I don't think it's always leadership. I think sometimes it's subject matter expertise, isn't it? Tenure, all those things. I think you're a natural, especially if like you, you're naturally built to want to help other humans. It's um uh, it's quite natural to to think, right, I can add value and save this right now. And um, there's an element of control there too if you're a leader, because naturally you think I don't want to go off track. um And Sometimes you know we we just want that hit, but also we just want to feel like because we're in such a busy cycle of next onto the next onto the next, it's like, oh, we're actually dealing with it and moving forward. Um, And we sometimes refer to it as our advice monster. It's um it's actually something that we um, lean into from a book um, called the advice trap. So if you get a chance to read that, listeners, it's really good. But it does tell you why. What Rob's explaining there, why you get that hit straight away by jumping in and trying to rescue situations but also obviously warns you of the, the downsides so of not being able to plug those coaching questions in um, and are you responding to someone's wants and not their actual needs or vice versa sometimes so i think it is worth mentioning that you know that is a trap that you can fall into hence it being called the advice trap um but yeah and the other side of it is and guess is the notes i made was things like over on people single point of failure sometimes you know we're maybe not allowing people to develop at the rate they could and then leaning into something that we work with um, uh, or have been working quite closely with rich divini on the attributes element so you know we've got skills and we can build skills but our attributes we're kind of unsure sometimes about where people sit on the dial in a lot of these attributes and as you know if we can spot a couple of early signs or put them into situations where we kind of test them in a controlled manner then actually we've got a likelihood that we're going to find things out about our team members that we didn't realise were true. You know, someone, you know, you know, we talk about someone who works in accounts, they're not going to want to go and do project management. Well, how do you know? You know, how how can we not, you know, test the water and, and push people, you know, outside their comfort zone from time to time. And that's something, you know, if we lean into the save it kind of situation where we maybe would be as open to ask the questions to figure out is it worth that risk? Is it worth actually developing someone by putting them out of their comfort zone. I bet most of the things that you've learned Rob, have been through being out of a comfort zone. And it's something well, that i should imagine you five on. <laughs> well,
1: you know we really well, Tracy. Yes. Um yeah okay. I, I I um I f- fill my life with um, a million and one things. Just life experiences in order to, to try and test myself. And you know um I, I you know, and clearly you're biased because you only see the world through your own eyes. Even if you try to um, to see things from other perspectives, it's impossible to, to, to really climb out your own head and climb into somebody else's. Um, uh, that, I think, has been that desire to do new things, to test myself and challenge myself, has been the thing that's allowed me to achieve, um, you know, from a professional perspective, what I've achieved. But it's also brought with it the, the moments of discomfort that um have allowed me to learn that that have just you know actually i wouldn't do that again i wish i hadn't done that i'm, I'm glad I, i'm glad i did it i'm glad i put myself in that space but but those things occurred and i've got to remember not to do that next time and, and like all humans um you still probably do similar you know have similar learning opportunities to get in the future but i think the more of those i do um the better i'm going to be as a, as a person as a leader because You know, I, you know, I can talk to the kids, you know, I'm fortunate to have a 14, 11 year old, as I was saying to you before we jumped on the call. Um, and you know, my advice to them is always, you know, say yes, go and, go and give it a go, go and, you know, what's the worst that can happen? Go and give it a go, learn from the experience. And if you don't enjoy it, don't do it again. If you do, if you did, then, you know, maybe you found your vocation or you found a hobby for life or, um, you've learned something about yourself that you, that you didn't know before. Um, yeah, I I suppose the best example of that is I, I was really unsure about leaving my last fire rescue service. I, I'd been there 22 years, and all my professional um, friends, you know, friends from from work, I suppose, worked in that organisation. It was a really safe comfort zone. I was ticking along, um, but I knew I was bored. I knew I needed to be tested. I knew I needed a new challenge, um, and Warwickship Warwickshire provided that. There was you know there's things we wanted to do and needed to do um but it was properly out of my comfort zone tracy if i'm honest um it was a totally different environment um and all the things i'd learned about what a fire rescue service was was based on on this one organization and, and it was totally challenged um and i've made some as I'm as i'm sure colleagues have in the private sector i've made some absolute assumptions that you know this new organization is going to be just like that organization and if i just do it the way i did it here it'll work it'll be fine and it hasn't and you know it hasn't and i've been really open with some of my colleagues i'm really you know i'm sorry it it, it, it didn't go the way i wanted but you know that it, it it threw me out of you know what was a it's a vocation it's it, it would been my home for 22 years you know in a, in a real sort of family sense
0: Everyone so could have sat there and, as you said, being comfortable. But for someone who likes to push themselves, I think it is important. I think the most important thing I think I reflect on, funnily enough, is reflection. Is actually, you know what did you learn in that moment? What can you take with you afterwards? And the, you know, there's no such thing as things going wrong. You just learn from it, sort of thing. Um, there are things that you'll steer away from in the future for sure but there are definitely things that make you realise that you are tougher than you think or you were more creative than you think or you're more adaptable than you think so I think for me I think that's a, a really key learning for people is to think about when the last time was they actually truly let you know stepped into their spectrum of growth a little bit more and um, for me it's not as straightforward as fixed and growth mindset there's a whole plethora of stuff in there and um, for those of you who are interested we've got some stuff on the around that about your spectrum of growth so thinking about, you know, what it is that you think that you are naturally hiring and the stuff that you think you're kind of middle of the road and some of those things you could push yourself. So, for instance, some people can be really high in, um, you know, taking risks. They think, yeah, I'll take any risk or just see what sticks and I'll go with it. Other people think, no, couldn't do that. And other people um, like to learn from their mistakes. So they will purposely throw themselves into positions where they think they could fail. Others will avoid that. Um, and then it could be down to something as simple as asking for help. You know, we know that as leaders, we need support. As you said, your network was all where you used to be, and you had to go and create this whole new network. But part of you thought, oh, hey, it might not be so bad starting again and trying to see what, what help I can get from other people. So some people will not ask for help, and that is a problem on your spectrum of growth. It, it, you know, it, it, can, it can hold you back a little. So I think for most people, it's important to know the things that you're good and maybe not so strong at in those areas and think about how you can use that to your advantage. And it's interesting what we said though, because I think when we're talking about, you know, stepping out into, you know, more of a growth curve for you, uh, it is around being conscious of, you know, what feels good for you at the time. So for you, stepping into that organisation from a brand new perspective, I mean, the first thing you've got to do there is figure people out, oh, right? Yeah. How was, that? was that easy for you?
1: Um I'm I'm an inherently trusting person. Um so I, I think it it, it was. I, very early on I'd said, Oh, there's no there is no politics in I'm really you know, I'm not seeing it, it's just it's just not that obvious. Um like every organization, politics is there and and I was I was definitely, you know, I was I was blinded by the positivity of this new environment and I think that was a that was a great piece of learning that I'd put over a bias of, you know, I've chosen to do this. This is going to be brilliant. And I know it's going to be brilliant because it was a really big decision and it took me some time to come to it. Clearly, I've made the right decision and, and I have. But I think that positivity brought in a positivity bias of this is brilliant. This, there is nothing, there is nothing here to fear. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nothing to see Nothing to see. So, you know, don't, don't get me wrong. Um, it, you know, I'm not talking about there being loads of, you know, nefarious underhand hand stuff, but, but bits about, you know, people's, you know, the things that matter to people because they've been in the organization for a long time. Things that I probably had when I was um, in my old organization. Um, and then the risk of new people coming in and the challenge that that might actually, this is going to change all the things that we hold dear. And, and you know, what do, what, what do they know? Um, I, and I was really naive. We talked about the shadow. I was really naive because I'm there to help. You know, in my mind, I'm there to help. I'm, you know, I'm open. I'm creative. I'm, I'm there to, you know, I'm happy to say I'm wrong, um, and to, to change things. You know, I'm I'm not coming to break everything up, but but from every from other people's perspectives, it, you know, how can they take me on face value after after a week, a month, two or three months? It's it's really difficult. So that's building the trust from a different perspective. Not, and you know, we talked about credibility earlier. When you move through an organisation, that credibility or that people's trust in you layers on top of each other, even if even if people haven't met you, they've heard about how you operate when you go into a new organisation, um, that is a fresh start and um, that takes some work and that was the reason I found it really fulfilling, just building, rebuilding and uh, testing relationships, pushing, pushing people, pushing myself to, to really um get under the skin of of the politics of the organisation and the people that work within it.
0: I guess a lot of that leans back into to you as a human with, you know, being massively purpose-driven and, you know, looking for, you know, being built with a creative mind and looking at opportunities and what, you know, what now, what now and that sort of approach. Because we all know that you are constantly looking for things to do. but. <laughs> Also, because you're massively humanistic, you know, you want to go in there, you want to create good relationships um, and build upon that. And I think that that is a massive testament to, to you and how you kind of operate. And that allows, of course, going back to something else in the leadership styles, which is collaborative leadership. You know, you are really happy working alongside other people and, like you said, learning from them, then learning from you, being very open and honest, you know, the great wins, the wooden spoons for when we got things wrong. And I think, again, that can be quite a tricky thing to navigate if you don't really have that depth in relationships. Um, but if you're assuming best intent in 10 in most situations which you are, I think that, you know, there's a lot to be said for taking that approach particularly when you feel that you know, you've know you created that base, at least, that people understand your expectations and, and obviously that you're putting that level of trust in them. So I guess that makes a big difference, really, that you are naturally focused. It might be a little bit tougher. I was just reflecting on that thinking, would it be a bit tougher for someone moving into the role that you did in the situation you did that maybe wasn't as humanistically driven and <laughs> not as able to read the room Um, and be as open to other people's perspectives. And I guess that not everybody does have that humanistic approach. Uh, So I guess that would be quite tricky in that situation, wouldn't it? Because it would take a long time to build that network back up.
1: And I think sectors, and I can only speak from the fire sector, but if I I try and widen that out, I think sectors where there isn't a massive amount of movement or people uh, maybe in an exec team are there for a period of time and you have a new person come in, I think that is... That is a challenge. I've talked to colleagues um, from the private sector who talk about, you know, new new CEOs come in, you know, the, you know what does that mean for us? What's that going to mean for the organization? Where are we going to go? What's the direction? You know, we've heard that they did this in their previous role. That sounds terrible. How how on earth? I'll never work here. All of that kind of uncertainty comes with the with the person. And I suppose as leaders, you've got some choices. You can either take the time and think about the organization and try and feel its heartbeat and then and then try and make you know add value add, do the changes yep. that you want to do or suppose there is the other route which is my approach has always worked um that's that's the way i'm going to go and it's going to work and, yep. and in some cases i suppose both would work but you've for yep. me i think you you've got to really think about who you are and what you're trying to achieve and how you are going to achieve that in that new setting because if you if you don't even think about it, I think that's that's really the risk, because everybody, be, everybody else will be looking at you thinking, what are they going to do? How are they going to operate? What does it mean to me?
0: You're so right about that perception. I don't know how many organisations I've been at where new exec people or new leaders have came in, and there's been that little rumble in the jungle, so to speak, about what they might bring. And, uh, and, and that can be a little bit deflating for people, even the leaders coming in because, you know, one organisation isn't the same as the other. It doesn't mean they're going to come and do the same thing. And as you said, it's situational. But I think, I guess, a, a part of that is that expectation that person's going to challenge the status quo. And as we know, people don't tend to like change. Or actually, I'll, I'll change that. I think people won't change because they tend to have moans and groans and stuff that isn't working so well. The problem is they don't want change and that's the difference they want the change to happen so that things can improve but you know do they want to adapt their style do they want to adapt the way they see the world not always because it's tricky for all of us so i think as leaders it is our job to make sure we're you know gauging that correctly and taking people with us on the journey before it's to our people and in my experience people who grow their network and have that rapport and that reliability and all those things going for them in abundance they are supported fully on the way up and when they're at the top they're revered and uh, people do look up to them and yeah there probably is a little bit of hero hero status going on there but they also understand uh, how to shut that vice monster up from time to time and allow people to grow uh, with them super important think One thing I was probably going to land on there, because we work with also a lot of private and public sector, was what do you think the biggest frustrations are? Uh, and I mean frustrations because some of these things can't be helped um, with working in public sector as opposed to, you know, someone who is listening in right now who is working in a private sector organisation and maybe doesn't have that insight into some of the stuff that can, you know, be really frustrating for you.
1: I was thinking about it from a conversation we had in the past, and there are so many similarities, just the words are different. You know, we, we talk about putting our community first, well, you know, for the private sector, that's, you know, that putting um, their customers first, that that it's, if you, if you lose sight of um, your customer base and you're totally navel gazing and thinking about, you know, you and the organization and you're really dialed in then you fall behind your competitors and and, and your world starts to fail. It's exactly the same from a public sector perspective. If we are totally focused and, you know, that does happen from time to time in the public sector and I've I've seen it happen in fire rescue services where we get very, very focused into, um, you know, we should look after our people, but we get focused in on our people. We get focused in on us and our systems and our structures. What absolutely what should be at the front and centre is our community Um, and lots of work has occurred over... Recent years to make sure that we're, you know, one that we are doing it. it's the right thing to do, but also that we are really, we're really focused in. It's the first thing. So, uh, you know, the national value set, um, core code of ethics, has changed to put to put that first. And, you know, I spoke to colleagues when it first came out, and people didn't, you know, there was a, there was really mixed views. But I think that's been probably been two years now, and it genuinely is you know, the focus of everything in terms of our strategy, in terms of everything we do, you know, what's the impact on the community here? What does this going to actually mean? What you what you see and hear in the news about all public sector probably, but definitely about Farm Rescue Services, is, yeah. is the nuts and bolts is the bit around the people. So um, is some of the industrial action, is, is maybe pay claims, is bits around bureaucracy. But but actually, you know, if you think about who you see and you interact from public sector perspective, you know, 99% of the people you interact with, they're all trying to help. They're trying to add value. They're trying to do something for the community. The vast majority will have joined that industry or that sector to help. And therefore, having community first probably helps the uh, the more strategic uh, elements of the public sector. Just make sure that we're just, we're just testing the world. Are, are we still here to do that? Is that still our purpose? And
2: does everybody know that it is are we put in community first? Introducing the T2 Hub, the online learning platform from the people, performance people. In three clicks, you'll gain full access to our comprehensive development catalog packed full of easy to understand pathways, videos and Hubcast content covering organizational development, leadership, management, sales, customer service, well-being and performance psychology. Curate and customize your Hub by bookmarking content relevant to you. Simply select the content you want, add some questions and distribute to employees across the organization. Access the T2 Hub content anywhere and everywhere read watch and listen all from the comforts of your home or office for an online learning platform that delivers practical and manageable tools and content guides the workforce to tailor content aimed at their goals and enables improved performance and development look no further than the t2 hub the online learning platform from the people performance people
1: i think there's there's two other bits that i think are are very similar so um politics is in place in both uh private sector and the public sector it's just a different time it's just a different type of politics <laughs> and there's this there's some real there's some real joys with um with politics in um you know in that environment in the public sector in terms of scrutiny etc that we we are a better organization from having you know as a, you know as a broad um, uk frs for having um scrutiny from external people looking at our organisations and, 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 and testing us to make sure that we are putting the community first, that we're value for money, all of those things. I, I don't see those as a barrier. I think they're really important because if they don't, um, you know, how do, we, how do we demonstrate to the community that we are adding value? How do we demonstrate that we are that we're putting our money where we should be putting our money, that we are, um, that are our resources? Are meeting the most diverse needs in our community. They're not just based on our operational whims or, or whatever. Um, it asks, you know, governance asks the difficult questions that we might not we might not ask ourselves. I mean, you'd hope that we do, but but you know, we can't see it from every perspective, even if we tr- even if we try. And, and governance, um, although it, it it does get a it does get a bad rep, you know, you you hear that around uh, the public sector. But my personal view is that. All forms of governance, you know, shouldn't be looked at as a negative thing. It should be seen as an opportunity to test how, how well you're you're doing and how good, how sound your strategies.
0: I do think some people would think red tape, frustrations, multiple stakeholders, slow decisions, those things. And of course, some of that will be true in certain elements, I'm sure. Um, but you're absolutely right. It's there to protect situations, people, and allow you, you know, thinking from other perspectives and stuff that you might not consider on a day-to-day basis, because we do fall into our own, uh, what well, we have our own lenses or don't we? We kind of have our, our levels of importance for us or the organisation. So I think it's important that those things are outlined because I think people would see them as things to you down or frustrations rather than actually as the way uh, you've described it there is actually an opportunity,
1: which is, yeah. is a good thing to consider. And certainly from a slowing down perspective, those, those are the, those are the big decisions those and we need to take time because it isn't just it's not impacting our community now it's impacting our community for maybe five or ten years and therefore um if we were to do that really quickly and we we you know we like to move with purpose we we are um we're firefighters and therefore we we love firefighting in the literal you know uh, sense and um, in the metaphorical sense um but but we do need we do need to take the time to make sure that we're making these decisions in a, in an effective way. So yeah, and not, not afraid of scrutiny, even if it does at times make things um, take longer than than you'd expect in the private sector.
0: So it's good to draw those comparisons. I thought you could definitely see them to you know, drill down into things. There would be differences in the way that you approach things, but I love how you kind of compare the customer service side of things or the customer to the community and, and those those approaches being similar because uh, again we do all too often segregate and sort of think, that, you know, it's very different. And although it is different, there's a different perspective on it. So I really appreciate your kind of refreshing perspective on that. Um, and I guess for me, I think another question I I had for you, you know, based on this sort of style of of podcast that we're doing today around, you know, what what you've learned and also what, you know, what you've been working with us on in your organisation was, you know, from a leadership perspective, um, you know, we often joke about, You know, you don't necessarily um, go to leadership school, if that makes sense. You kind of, you're the way I see it is you're kind of going up a hill with a little backpack, and you're kind of filling up these skills and kind of developing your attributes. Then you get to a ledge called the leadership ledge, and someone says, "Here you go. Here's the leadership role." And you go, "Oh, can I put this backpack down now?" And they go, "No, you've got to keep carrying that and then just keep going." And you go, "Well, do I get do I get do I get like a folder of stuff to do, like stuff to learn?" And they're like, "No," Um, and I guess you know, in a, in a role such as firefighter or, or in a service such as a fire service, a lot of it is all about, you know, learning from situations, being very hands-on and, you know, developing in that sense. But from a leadership perspective, I guess it is a little bit trickier. And what sort of changes have you seen over the years, other than obviously starting to work with us in 2019, which is obviously the main reason why everyone is so amazing at watching fire rescue. But, um, you know, what changes have you seen or have we seen any?
1: Yeah, so um, when I joined in the late 90s, it was a far more um, quasi-militaristic, I think is the, uh, the phrase that um, okay. an anthropologist <laughs> would use. Um, oh. Yeah, I think um, yeah, it, was, it was far more um, uniformed service, you know, stand up in, when people enter the room, call you sir, although that, there, are, there are elements of those traditions that still, um, that still run through the service. Um, but that did bring with it distance, I think, um, between what would be classed as officers and non officers that was in in my mind. I probably didn't see it when as a as a problem when I was a when I was a non officer for want of a better phrase, when I was uh, a firefighter or when I was a, um, a watch manager, which is somebody that rides in, in charge of a fire appliance. Um I didn't really see that divide. I was always happy to um say what i think or challenge the status quo or get my hands stuck in um and i didn't really know why to be honest i you know there's no re apart from i wanted to help and kind of i was probably helping my team and thought you know i'm going to move things forward um i would like to think over the intervening years that that divide in terms of personality and accessibility has reduced so um I was on a number of fire stations last week, and, and was had really free and open conversations with um, with firefighters, which they say they wouldn't have had previously. Um, and that's not a criticism of uh, of leaders that have gone in the past. That was just the culture of the time that, 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 that those kind of free and open conversations were much harder to do because of the roles that people were doing, but also the structure of the organisation, the natural culture around it being uh, militaristic. And if if you're expected to call somebody sir and stand up every time they enter the room, how likely are you are, are you to tell them that the thing that they've just suggested that you do is a really bad idea? Um, and, and, you know, we're just humans, and, and I'm sure I come up with, you know, a fair share of my own bad ideas. Um and I desperately want, as I know all of my colleagues do, we want people to feel um, confident that they can say to us, "That's a really bad idea," and these are the reasons why. You know, you know, not necessarily it's just a bad idea because I think so, but you know, the evidence behind it that says, actually, for for these reasons, have you thought about that? Have you thought about the other? And I think the, the quasi-militaristic world of the fire service of the past didn't enable that. It it, it disabled it. There, there were so many barriers and walls. Um, you know, diversity in the fire and rescue service has historically been a problem and I, I and I know I I see it as a as a white I, I don't look at but middle aged man. Um uh, but you, you, you know, there's there's a there's a whole thing there about how how individual the fire and rescue service is or has been, um, and how how easy it is to be different. Um and I have definitely seen through things like our interaction with T2, through an increase in diversity, through uh, probably through a difference in in the type of people that join the organisation from a, you know, maybe come from a university background, that individuality is now much more present and really clear, which is a brilliant thing um, than it ever was in the past and I really hope that that journey continues, that people are more open, they're more willing to engage with each other and individuality is just celebrated in in the fire service because if it isn't you know what? We're just constraining the conversation. We're never going to grow and develop if we um, if we don't harness each person's strengths. You open up so much,
0: you know, extra possibilities there right, through diversity, um, open, you know, open communication, uh, open door policy, sort of thing. That, but actually doing it—that's another thing. <laughs> say, oh my god, oh, it's always open, except when it's not open, <laughs> which is both of um, the time yes which is most of the time and i sit behind the desk and when you come in there's always a barrier there you know it's, it's those small things that make a big difference isn't it so yeah it, it's good to hear that you you in a way that you can make that connection from what it was to what it is now and i know from a lot of work that we're doing together that you're really making a difference there um and i guess that kind of links me into some of my last questions because also we've been doing a lot of work together we've got some exciting stuff coming up you know that we uh We've been getting um yeah we've been getting pretty pretty sort of excited about and doing a lot of planning for but i'd really like you know just a few kind of thoughts from you around you know, the work that you've done with us as an organization and um, you know how you think it's made a difference really in in the times we've been working together um, and maybe just some thoughts on from you personally and what you've taken from working with us you know even through you know the self-development element and the understanding to the tools that we've you know been working with and how that's you know hopefully gonna support you in,
1: in your career moving forward yeah definitely happy to see that, Tracy. so um you know well, i've been incredibly fortunate that i've had loads of professional development over the years fire service is brilliant for that um we've you know the executive leadership program thing with Warwick Business School I was talking about earlier, but the the thing that taught me more about myself than anything else was um, three days in 2019 when uh, Martin Spence brought my print profile and and gave me uh, me on two pages, um, which it just made made so much sense. It really did. There were so many things that I just thought yep, that's that is why I, that's why I do that and that's why I feel um, so frustrated there was a um, it's a well-known adage now I think um, it's been talked about quite a bit I had a um, a colleague um, that I get on with everybody but we we, we didn't really get on um, he used to he used to yeah press by my, uh, my chimp release button and I used to do it for him <laughs> um, and we you know his his purpose was about um protecting and feeling um uh, valued and mine was about helping other people. Um and so we were we were talking very similar language but from a completely different perspective. Um we we used we used the tools that we'd taken from that session to go and um help make our relationship better, which meant I could challenge him in a in a way that um, he needed, and he could also articulate back to me why he had done what he did, and that made sense. Then, so from my perspective, um, I wasn't seeing you know the negative. I could understand how he got to the he got to that place because you know with any of these things, there's fault or issue or challenge on both sides. This is not you know me good, him bad, him bad, me good. This is actually this is a misunderstanding. How do we how do we come together? So the the print profile, and I I've, I've tidied up my office over the weekend, and I found I've got three copies of my print profile, which which is just <laughs> no, right? No. Um, so that definitely helped, um, and I know it helps a lot of my colleagues too. Um, and we have consistently used that language uh, with each other since twenty nineteen, and um, and I'm I'm really keen, as you know, to, to push the boundaries to understand psychology and how that helps it helps us grow and develop but also probably most importantly you talked about you know challenge day earlier how we get ourselves into those really enriching environments that we, we test ourselves and then we we step back afterwards and say right you know how do we feel about that what 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 do we like what didn't we like why didn't we like it um because we're all really busy and I'm sure in our know, private sector, public sector uh, as a firefighter we are, as I said earlier, we're either metaphorically uh, or literally firefighting all of the time as I'm sure everybody else is um, but how do we take a breath and just pause and reflect on why we did did what whatever we've done and the work that we've done with T2 has helped us do that just to step aside for a little bit and go well, what, what are we going to do Um future is exciting you alluded to what we're what we're doing with you currently that's um that's how work around promotion processes which um both as a sector and as a service is a, is a challenge because go back to the quasi-militaristic um stuff i was talking about earlier there's <laughs> a real view that we just do what we, that you know senior leaders just do what they want that's that's how it works um and that's not what i want what i want is the best people i want in, uh, i want a group of individuals where we can get all of that collective brilliance and make a brilliant fire rescue service, That—that—that that, that, that is what I want. Um, and I'm not the right person to say what brilliant is, because my version of brilliant is different to your version of brilliant. And, and, and what T2 are going to provide us is an opportunity for lots of different independent people to have a look at our people and say, right, this is their brilliant, this is their version of brilliant, um, and how we think they can add value. And to do it in a really transparent way, as you know, we're We're looking at videos, which then we can link into their development plans to help them see how they react and interact in those environments. Um, We genuinely believe, as you can probably tell from the passion in my voice, that this is going to help us make a brilliant fire rescue service. So we're um, excited, it's definitely where we are.
0: We're excited to, um, to support you guys. We always love working, everybody in the office fights for a Warwickshire gig. And um, we all want to come down and see everyone. So that's always a good sign. Um, <laughs> but what I also love is, is you know, it's not just exec level. It's not just, you know, the, the senior leaders of the organization. We've followed all the way down to the rest of the organization. There are people, right, you know, down newbies coming through the service that are using print profiling or are going on and, and learning about leadership and all those things to help them develop. But there's also people relearning at the top and adapting and open up their spectrum of growth and i think that's what makes it successful in an organization what also helps is having some key champions like yourself in the organization that will take that and have a team of people around them that support it internally because we can go in as an organization and provide all these amazing tools but all we are really is a sticky plaster if someone doesn't take it in the organization and go right how do we use this effectively and i really truly believe that you guys do that which is why when it comes to the assessment centre side of things, we feel that you can make a real difference. Um, so so we're really looking forward to that and, and and obviously looking forward to supporting you guys moving forward on anything else that comes up because we absolutely adore working with you. So it's it's been really great to spend some time um, speaking to you today. We we'll really appreciate you giving us some of your free time. So here's my question for you. Every time someone asks you a question in your brain, say to yourself, if I'm saying yes to this. What am I
1: saying
0: no to? <laughs> <laughs> I you. To you. This week, I,
1: I, I, I'm probably saying no to a little bit more sleep. <laughs> it's probably what I'm doing. Don't do that.
0: Don't do that. Um, really, really, um, you know, lovely having a chat with you today. Um, I guess for me, it's it's about uh, working closely with our partners, seeing things from your perspective. Because you're right, perspective taking is difficult. You know, we can only see it through the lens we have. So uh, it's just great to hear from the inside the benefits that you were seeing from the work you're doing individually and as you know, as an organisation as well. And um, we were really fortunate to also have you with us on our leadership retreat last year. Well, this year. I'm, I'm, yeah. The reason I keep saying last year is because we're already working on next year's. Um, and you were a real key kind of influencer and uh, contributor in that and um I, I just saw you thrive in that environment and i guess last question for me was what did you get from it and what did you take back with you
1: yeah, yeah. So it, it 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 was excellent and i think the main thing i took back was around that diversity of network um it's really easy to stay in a stay in sector bubble uh, particularly if you're in a sector like mine where you stay in it for a very long period of time um so there are a couple of contacts that i've um that i've kept in my phone we've messaged only a couple of times to be fair but uh, you know i think in that really intense window um i particularly think of, of Mike. we you know we went running together we we talked about really intimate things that you think i just wouldn't have had those kind of conversations i have no doubt we, we talked about this at the end um you know that re- that that reach out, Joe. Oh, I just could do some advice. I don't know, actually. You're, you're the go-to person. You know this stuff. Um, I I felt it gave me that. It gave me a network, an informal network of people that worked at a similar level but in different organisations. I suppose because of the intensity of the of the the retreat, it just supercharged that connection um, in a way that you don't. I don't think I've had in a, in a, in another event like that. So. Um, yeah, there's, there's at least a couple of people um, that I have maintained their contacts. And I know if I was to reach out tomorrow that, you know, they'd answer and they'd be able to say, help me with my, with my problem because we, we'd had that connection.
0: It's a really great way to look at, I think, network is super important. And you're absolutely right it was the intensity. But what we should be clear on with the intensity, it's not that we're <laughs> going to pluck you out of an airplane.
1: Okay.
0: Not this year anyway. <laughs> But um, in terms of, yeah, that level of vulnerability that you had to show from the get-go um in terms of, you know, doing your psychometrics with each other and, and sharing your experiences. Um, but what I really, I personally really embraced from that was uh, the people who came were in it from the beginning. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, I am fully here, I'm fully engaged, um, I can see the level of people that are here and I'm actually, you know, quite impressed <laughs> that there's that many kind of sets of experiences to dip into. Um, but the, the connection came very quickly, didn't it, with an hour or two? And I think that um, when we all left the retreat, we felt that we'd created something special. So I'm guessing it's a full recommendation from you if anyone wants to think about signing up for
1: 2024. 100%. Uh, the one thing it would be absolutely remiss of me uh, not to say is the speakers were incredible. Um, all, all three speakers. I've got Richard Deviney's book just here. Um, yeah, I just gained. I'd always wanted to meet um, Sir Dave Brasford, and he he absolutely lived up to everything, um, everything that I, that I thought. You know, go back to the, the point about individuality. That's about those marginal gains. That's about taking everything from everybody to make a brilliant organization. And um, the one thing the, re- the retreat, or one thing, one of the many things the retreat had is that pull to bring in those excellent speakers, and that you know that was far surpassed my, my uh, expectations.
0: Well, you know, we know that we got such a response from you all and we're we're just at the moment, Martin and I'm working with Rich Deviney on um, a uh, hospitality partnership and some work that we're going to do with him. So we're really excited to bring the attributes to the UK uh, and the speakers that we've got this year are going to be second to none. We're super excited. We're, we're making an announcements slowly slowly, surely, but keep your eye out on social media, guys, if you're interested. Um, but yeah, we, you know, I bet you're gutted that you can't come again this year,
1: aren't you? <laughs> I am, but you've got to share, you've got to share, you've got to share the love. Although, no, I don't want it. But yeah, you've got to share the love.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon, Rob. Uh, really appreciate it, and um, I'm looking forward to uh, coming down and seeing you in the next couple of weeks to get some work started. Um, have a great week, and we will see you again soon on the T2 podcast.
1: Thanks, Tracey. See you later.
0: Thank you.
2: Hi, listeners. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the T2 Hubcast. If you did, please consider leaving a 5-star review on your favourite podcasting platform. It only takes a minute and your feedback is greatly appreciated. Reviews help other people find the show and learn about the amazing topics we cover. Additionally, please turn on notifications so you never miss an episode. And finally, please subscribe or follow the T2 Hubcast if you haven't already. Doing this means that you'll automatically receive new episodes as soon as they're released. Thanks so much for your support.